The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We're starting a new uh, series and uh, it's called A Firm Foundation. It's about foundations. Foundations, we all know foundations are important. If you've had an extension built to your house, in fact, I believe when Sarah Hurst spoke uh, in the summertime, she spoke about an extension that they've been having at their house and how it seems to take forever for the foundations to be set. And, you know, when we see a new building uh, site, you know, they put up the hoardings, they paint the hoardings, they seem to spend more trouble on the hoardings than anything else. Now they're painting and making them all look lovely. You see nothing happening. Nothing for, for ages. It's because they're digging down and establishing foundations. And then eventually, when the foundations have been set, then the building can go up. Foundations are important, and we know that foundations are important. We don't really need to spend much time on that. Jesus spoke about foundations. And in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, he said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and this is one he'd been speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called. So he'd been speaking lots of message to the people and giving them instruction about how to live the Christian life. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, on firm foundations. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. It had firm foundations. But then Jesus says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand, insecure foundations. He built his house on sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Exactly. Do we want to build on sand? No, no, no. We don't want to build on sand. And you can see it's just like a, a Sunday school class. Do we want to build on sand? No, we don't want to build on sand. What do we want to build on? We want to build on rock. Yes, we want to build on rock. We want to build on firm foundations. How do we do that? We do that by following Jesus. Yes, of course we do that by following Jesus. And you know how if we ask him these questions, you get these answers, and everybody, yeah, we do it by following Jesus. That's what gives us a firm foundation, and everything's good. But listen, what does it really mean to be following Jesus? What does it really mean for us to have firm foundations in the Christian faith? Well, it means that we need to be living by faith. And I just want to look at this a minute, this sense of living by faith. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes this, For I'm not ashamed, he says, of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. And incidentally, that's the Jew, that is those that know God, and the Gentiles were everybody else. So it encompasses the whole world, every person, for the Jew first and for the Gentile. 
This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Or as it says in the NIV, which some of you may be more familiar with, the righteous shall live by faith. So we know that firm foundations are important. Having foundations that are strong, on a rock, that is important for any building, for any person to be established. And for a Christian, a firm foundation is living by faith. A lot seems to be resting on that word faith. Now, I have a slight problem with the word faith. And just hear me out. It's not that I disagree with it, or not that I don't think it's a good word, but sometimes I think it's just a word, and we don't really know how to lay hold of it. Oh, faith. You've got to have faith. What does that mean? What does that practically look like? How do I go about living by faith? Just saying the word, understanding the word, writing the word, reading the word, doesn't get you anywhere. There's something about the word that has to have an activation in our lives, something that needs to help us to root ourselves so that it feels like our lives are standing on rock, not just using words. Otherwise, we become those Christians that are just pouring out the words, you know, oh, brother, it's good to see you, and the righteousness of the Almighty One and the holy cherubim will come upon you. What? These are words. Now, I know I'm taking them from Scripture, but you know what I mean? And it's the same with the word faith, I think. Sometimes we just say, oh, faith, you've got to have faith. Increase my faith. I'm praying by faith. What does that look like? I want to know because I want to live practically. I want to live on a firm foundation. I want to understand these things. So when it comes to this word faith, and let's just see what the Bible says about it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And faith, in my view, is something it would almost be that other Christians, stronger Christians, seem to have. And yet sometimes for us, it seems to be a little bit more difficult to get hold of. In its simplicity, faith is this. It's believing in the reality of something that is not seen with the eye. It's believing in the reality of something that is not necessarily seen by our human eyes. So we're trusting. And that's actually a word that I prefer to use. It's not that I'm exchanging faith for trust, but I'm just trying to help us to understand what we're talking about. And we're using this word faith, but if we say, look, faith is trusting. It's trusting. It's trusting that what we understand about God is true. I'm trusting that. And I can understand the word trust because I have to trust people. If somebody says to me, right, let's have a cup of coffee. Let's meet at, oh, I don't know, Costa Coffee in Bromley at midday. You know, the one in the Glade. Okay, you got that information. You trust that that information has been given is correct, and you go there at that time because you trust you're going to meet that person. We understand what trust is. It's taking something that you can't necessarily see because you can't see whether they're there or not at the moment, but you go there and you trust that they are going to arrive to meet you for that coffee appointment. There's an element of trust involved in such a statement. And you know what? Trust can grow just as faith can grow. Trust can deepen. We have deep trust. As a husband or wife, you get to know one another's little ways. And so you can sort of read somebody else. You you have trust and confidence in them, which grows and increases 
over time. Okay, let's take all of those bits and pieces that I'm throwing at you. Firm foundations. Faith. What faith is. Faith is looking at things that aren't there. Seeing things that you can't see, but believing in them. Taking those things, and let's just look at the story of Peter when he walked on the water with Jesus. So we're going to read something from Matthew 14. Just to put the setting, Jesus has just been feeding the 5,000. So there's been this miraculous occurrence. Jesus has got 5,000 people out in the middle of nowhere, and he says to his disciples, guys, give them something to eat. And they go, what? (laughs) And you can imagine, it's like here. Right. Sarah, get your purse out. Come on, let's buy us all coffee and something to eat at prep or something like that. She's thinking like, ooh. I think I left my credit card behind. You know, that's the sort of feeling they had. They haven't got a credit card. You see, we're in danger. Um, So Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and then he says to his disciples, guys, I want you to go across the other side of the lake. I'm staying here for a while. You go across the other side of the lake. Matthew 14, 22 to 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, during the fourth watch of the night, I suddenly looked this up this morning. What is the fourth watch of the night? The fourth watch of the night is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Suddenly, maybe these guys were tired. They'd been up all day. I mean, let's face facts, that afternoon they'd been picking up all the food and stuff that other people had left behind. They'd been working all day. They'd been rowing all night. This is now between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Just interesting, because I don't think I'd put that in perspective. Sometimes I always think, like, oh, it's just, uh, they're just carrying on with life. This is like, you've been up all day, and now you're working all night. So it just gives you a feeling of, like, actually, I can understand they're a bit tired. I can understand they're a bit confused. So, in the fourth watch of the night, it says, when I can see it again in the scripture, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, we would say, and I, I think we're quite familiar with that story, we would say it takes faith to walk on the water. It takes faith. But the necessity isn't just having faith. The necessity, as we will see here, is that you keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus. That's the necessity. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. In Hebrews 12, we are instructed to do this. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this, listen to this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We're instructed to live a life of faith, and we do it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. In the NIV, it says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. So this idea of you keep your attention, you keep your gaze, you fix yourself on Jesus. So we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's simple, isn't it? Well, no, it's not. Let's just go back to what we saw with Peter. You see, Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. And he's encouraged by that, greatly encouraged by that. He's st stirred by it. And so he says to Jesus, let me come out, let me walk on the water with you. So he gets out and he finds that he too can do this. Have you ever tried walking on water? As a young boy, I did it at a swimming pool. I, well, let me just say, I didn't do it. I sought to do it. I should say that. I sought to do it. You know when you go to the swimming pool and you're, you're, as kids, you're jumping in off the side and you're doing all this sort of stuff. I thought like, hey, let's have a go at walking. So like, you're standing on the side of the swimming pool, and so you put your foot out, and the next thing you know, you've gone straight down to the bottom of the swimming pool again. So I've tried it, and I have failed. But Peter, he got out of the boat, and there's something like this water that's going up and down. And don't forget it's dark around him, or just the beginning of dawn coming. There's lots of confusion all around. There's a lot of wind blowing around. But he puts his foot out, and miraculously there's a firm foundation. And he is looking at Jesus. And he's walking towards Jesus. He's away from the boat. He's left that behind as he's now walking towards him. He is actually walking on the water. And if he'd have turned back, he'd have seen the rest of the disciples. This isn't in Scripture. This is just a little bit of an added. They are all like that. They're looking in sheer amazement at what has happened. But as he proceeds towards Jesus, and as he's looking, and as he has his eyes fixed on Jesus, suddenly he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he's looking around, and actually all the wind, well, he's not seeing the wind, he's seeing the effects of the wind and the waves all around him. And suddenly he's fearful, and he's wondering what's going to happen, and he starts to sink. You see, it's not easy to keep your focus and your gaze on Jesus because what happens is we get taken in by the things that are around us, the things that come against us. And you see, for us, the same thing happens. We come here on a Sunday and we've been singing our songs and we're encouraged in the worship and we're gaining strength through this and we feel the presence of God and we're feeling almost like a rechargeable battery. Spiritually, we're feeling like we're being topped up again. And so we walk out of here and my eyes are fixed on Jesus. 
But then suddenly something happens at home, even over lunch or later that afternoon or maybe tomorrow, and suddenly a thought comes in, you're thinking, my God can do anything. And suddenly a thought comes in and says, are you sure? And where did that thought come from? How did it even approach? But suddenly that thought comes into the mind and it remains in the mind. And suddenly you think, am I sure? Am I sure that God is the creator? Am I sure that he is able? Am I sure that he can meet my situation? God, you don't understand how big my situation is. And your situation is always bigger than anybody else's situation to you. And suddenly out of a situation of where your eyes were fixed and your focus was fixed and your heart was fixed upon Jesus because you were believing and secure and strong in him and your faith, your confidence, your trust was elevated by being with the people of God. Suddenly you find yourself thinking, is he able even to meet my needs? And having had that thought come in, are you sure? It's quickly followed up with thoughts like, but you remember like, you know, last week you had a cold and you prayed and, and, and it took ages to get over that cold. What was God playing at? Does he really care? And within the space of a few moments, just like Peter, your gaze has gone from Jesus. Your gaze has been pushed away from Jesus. And now you're worried about the storm. Everything's coming against you. Confusion, doubt, fear are all rising in your heart because of the circumstances. And you're no longer believing. You'll find yourself being thrown around, tossed around, confused. Now that's how I feel. And I'm confident that I'm not the only one. Otherwise, you'd be looking at here, oh my goodness, it's our pastor. Oh, grief, we've got troubles on our hands. But you see, I'm confident that I'm not the only one who feels like that. Because this is real life. And see, what can happen is we can start to look at other people. Of course, I knew they weren't very strong in their faith. And we're using that word again which doesn't really have much feeling to us. But when we start to say, listen, we all need to help each other keep our eyes on Jesus, that becomes a little bit more tangible. Because you know what? You can go back home and you can actually ask yourself, do I feel like my eyes are on Jesus or have they lost? Have I got distracted? Have I moved away? Has something come against me? Has confusion come against me? Is that what's happened to me? To keep your eyes on Jesus you need to keep reminding yourself of who he is. Why do I say that? Because that is constantly coming under attack. Kevin was starting with that encouragement from John Ortberg. I think it was John Ortberg telling us to worship. And I can't remember the words, but I can remember the understanding that I got from that is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what he was saying. What do we do to worship? We need to remember who God is. We need to focus upon who God is. Because that's the only way we can gain strength in ourselves. Our God is the one and only true God. I'm just trying to find out what heading I was under. Um, He's the one and only true God. He's the one who can help us. He is the one who can sustain us. He is alone the creator of the heaven and the earth. He is the only uncreated one. We have to get hold of things that are true and anchor themselves because we live in a dark environment that is seeking to strip this truth away from us. You don't believe me? Listen, it's happening all the time. 
And here we are, we come to church and somebody is just telling us we've got to live by faith. Listen, we need to understand what that means. We need to understand what it, 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 for us it means we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And for us it means we've got to start thinking, how do I do that? What are the things that help me to keep my eyes upon Jesus? What are the things that help me to maintain that? And for me, a foundation stone is the knowledge and understanding that God is the creator. That God is the one who has founded all things. That he is the one who spoke into the darkness and out of nothing has created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who has established the sun and the solar systems, the stars. He is the one that has given us the plants and the animals. He is the one that established day and night. He is that one. Now, is that contested? Of course it's contested. But I find it interesting, when I go to Scripture, I start to see over and over again men and women of God who come back to that foundation. You know, the Apostle John, when he was writing in Revelation, and he's talking about the things that he had seen in heaven. He there describes in heaven a scene around the throne of God, and there are these creatures that are worshipping God. And as the creatures bow down and they start to say, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord. Then the elders also bow down, and they say this, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and praise, for you created all things. And you see, the foundation of praise in heaven is that the elders and everybody acknowledges you are the one who has created everything. You are that one. Now that's just what John saw in heaven. Nehemiah, when he was praying, and we have a, just a, a, a glimpse of his prayer life in Nehemiah chapter 9, and we're at verse 6, and it says this, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. This is how he is praying to God. What is he doing? He's saying, I need to keep my eyes fixed on him. I've got troubles that are going on around me. I've got stuff that is pressing in upon me. But I've got to root myself. How do I root myself in God? I've got to remember that he is the foundation stone of all creation. I've got to remind myself of that truth. I've got to take hold of that situation. Even Jesus, I know Jesus doesn't actually say, God, you are creator of all things. In Matthew 11, I was reading the other day, and suddenly I'm reading this verse and I read this, Matthew 11:25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. So Jesus knew. He knows exactly who his Father is. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who has established all things. He is the creator of everything. We need to start with a foundation stone in our lives that God is the creator of all things. Oh, but hang on a second. You just take for one moment a glimpse at Google search and you type in there, how did it all start? How did mankind come about? How did the heavens and the earth? You go there and you will find what I've just said being contested for. Greatly contested for. Because it's a foundation stone that we need to take hold of and it helps us to keep our eyes upon Jesus.
So the enemy wants to contest that. And so if we type into Google and we're looking at our searches, then we're finding there things about how the earth was brought about by a big bang. And out of nothing, it came to pass. And it ignores a number of things. Now, I know that, you see, what we're starting to talk about is, well, what do you believe in? How, how do you believe? And all of this is a faith. All of this is a trust situation. And you're not going to get away from that. And the people who are Darwinists and believe that actually, that the species can actually adapt from one to another. So how did men and women get here? Well, they came from the apes. And that's what they teach in our schools to children. Why? Because the work of darkness wants to bring confusion to the heart of every man and woman that there is not a God, that he has not founded the things, and therefore it is trying to put everybody's attention away from keeping their eyes on Jesus. And you wonder why when we come to church, we have a, or rather when we go from church, we have a struggle when we go out into the world. Darwin, who is... Uh, Darwin House is just down the road. It's in the borough of Bromley. Many of you have probably been there to see it. Although in truth, it's a bit expensive to get in, but there you go. <laughs> Darwin started as a man who trusted God because he was brought up in those Victorian times when you did trust God. You believed God. You went to church. Stephen says, he writes in, some of his, uh, in his autobiography about the fact that he enjoyed the morality of what he saw. But on some of his trips, and he was trying to study science and trying to understand things in a good way. I think his intention was good. As he was on board boat and he's with sailors and he's sailing, because he's sailing around the world, sailing off to the Galapagos Islands and sailing on that time, his interaction with the sailors, often they say, you don't believe that stuff, do you? In a negative environment, confusing him and taking his eyes off Jesus. And eventually, through his own discoveries, he saw the natural adaptation of animals. He saw the fact that they were adjusting to their circumstances. And that led him to believe, his, or to create his theory, which could say that actually man can move from one species to another. Uh, sorry, that there can be transformed, or there can be changed from species to species. And therefore, his whole thing about evolution and how that man could have come. And as he's thinking this, and as he's going through these processes... What happens inside of him is that slowly his faith is being darkened, confused, and killed off. And he recognizes that it took a long period of time for that to come to pass. But eventually, he felt like, okay, I've got rid of that, and now I'm in a new world. Unfortunately, his findings and his work brought all of us into a so-called new world, a world of confusion, a world that denies the existence of God, a world whose morality is falling apart because they no longer know what truth is and how to stand by the truth, a world full of confusion. But God, in the midst of all of that, called a people and is still calling a people unto himself. And the kingdom of God shall never, shall never fail. The purposes of God shall never be thwarted. And so our God has called you and he has called me into a kingdom of the kingdom of God. To stand as people who stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ and who keep their focus upon God. But is that focus being challenged? Yes, I've said it already. 
It is being challenged. It's being challenged constantly. But we need to be able to keep our focus and to keep our trust and to keep reflecting upon where we are. So this week when you go home, I want you to keep asking yourself the question, do I feel like my eyes are fixed on Jesus? You can ask yourself that question. And, uh, folks, listen, I'm not... If you feel the answer at, the mo- at that moment in time is, no, I don't think they are, this is not a blame situation. This is a situation of us saying, like, this is what happens. And this is why we need to anchor ourselves in the truth of God. This is why we need to worship. This is why we need to read the Word. Because we realise there's so much bombardment that comes from the negative realm around us that would seek to distort us. Just like Peter, he was going well. He was walking on water, for goodness sake. He was doing things that I couldn't do, have never done. Not without God's help. He was actually doing that. But it says that when he saw the wind and the waves, he started to sink. And what happens to us is we come from here and on Monday morning or Tuesday morning or Thursday lunchtime or Friday evening, whenever it may be, we're suddenly reflecting on the fact, are my eyes fixed on Jesus? Actually, I don't even know where Jesus is. Because that's what it comes to. I don't even know where Jesus is. And you know what happens? We feel deflated. We feel overcome. We feel confused. We just say, oh, well, it's just me. I'm not like the others. I'm not as strong as them. No, no, no. God has given each one of us a measure of faith. Okay? And yours isn't larger or smaller. It's just that you need to learn how to keep fixing your eyes on Jesus. And if I look at myself, it's not that my eyes are always fixed on Jesus. I'll tell you what I spend most of my time doing, getting my eyes back on Jesus. Okay? Because I keep getting pushed aside. I keep getting, people come to you, situations happen, thoughts, stuff you see on the TV, stuff you read about, stuff people are pouring at you, stuff that's coming at you all the time. Because all of us, listen, there's no temptation that is not common to man. Stop trying to think that things don't affect me, they only affect you, or they only affect you, they don't affect anybody else. There's not a temptation that isn't common to man. We have to understand, we're all going through the stuff. We're all being affected by the stuff. What we need to do is to learn how we can help one another keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus so that we might be able to live strong, upright lives in Him, allowing His Spirit Because let's face facts, the power of God isn't in us, it comes through us. Because it's about God. The Creator can give us His Holy Spirit so that His Holy Spirit can work through us into situations to other people to help them. So not they can turn around and say, well, thank you for helping me, or wow, you can do miracles. It's like, no, don't look at me. Do you remember Peter and Paul at the Gate Beautiful? where they came and they saw the guy. There's a cripple who'd been there for ages. He'd always been walking by, and now he's shaking his tin at them, saying, listen, guys, I'd like some cash from you. And Peter turns to him, and he catches his gaze. So the guy thinks, well, hey, I'm going to get some cash today. And Peter suddenly says, I don't have any money. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. 
And suddenly this man who hadn't walked was able to have strength in his bones and he stood up. That's the authority of the kingdom of God coming through Peter. And what did he say? Don't look at us as though it was by our own power that we did this. We are declaring to you that Jesus is risen from the dead and it's through the power of his name that it has come to pass. It's not about us. It's about what God can do through us. But we have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to keep our eyes, to keep our focus, to keep our trust in Jesus, to believe that he is able to do far abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine, to be able to do what we cannot do. He is able to rescue. He is able to save. He is able to deliver. Yes, he can take you from drugs. Yes, he can take you from alcohol. Yes, he can take you from the bondage of sexual sin. Yes, he can take you out of all sorts of things because he is a redeemer. He is a redeemer. He can take hold of you. And Have you got a problem with anger? Have you got a problem with lust? Have you got a problem with sins that you keep falling back into? It's time to bring your eyes back to Jesus. Because I tell you, when we fall into those sins, our sight's all over the place. We get lost. We get confused. We get down. Then We don't know what's going on. But you see, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. He is our foundation stone. And the foundation stone that we're looking at today that we want to keep ourselves focused on is that he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Now I know that if we were to have a discussion with somebody who didn't believe the same things, they'd be throwing out all sorts of scientific stuff and this, that and the other. And I know what, as a Christian, we don't understand exactly how everything took place. But I know this that in the beginning was God. And he created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke and light came into being. And it says there's a series of days there. Were they actual days? Were they 24 hours? What What do they mean by this? Look, I don't understand all of that, although I'm quite happy to believe and to trust that God can do anything and therefore he can do it in seven lots of 24 hours. It's not a problem for him. He is God. So I don't have to worry about it. And scientists may tell me all sorts of things, but I know this. If they're denying God, they don't know the truth because the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, it's not... Please, don't just remember that scripture and go back. You know, what, I went to church. Oh, you went to church the weekend. Did you learn anything? Yes, I learned that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I'm not sure that's going to go down desperately well over the first coffee in the office tomorrow or at the school. But you know what? Keep in your heart. The Apostle Paul, did he go through trials? Yes, he did. Because people were bringing all sorts of stuff against him. But he says, listen, I count it as nothing that I might suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Because you see, Jesus... He is the one who can really help us. I said about the creation of the world, behind the world, and as you gaze at the beauty of the world, you see this. Behind it all, there is a design. There is somebody. There is somebody who tells the plants that it's springtime. There's somebody who gives us springtime and harvest. There's somebody who gives us cold 
and heat. There's somebody who gives us night and day. And I know that people say, oh, no, no, that's because the planets go around the sun. You know, oh, that's a bit... Yes, but there's somebody who created that. There's somebody who put the order in the universe. There's somebody who put in our hearts, not from a big bang, but they put in our hearts the fact that we have a sense of morality because we know when we've done wrong. You see, that comes from God. But not only that, let's not look just at the negative. There's somebody who has given us love in our hearts that enables us to love somebody else. And that puts us, as human beings, it puts us above animals. It puts us above amoebas. It makes us into the people that God has created us to be. And as the people of God, standing on the foundation stones of God, looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him, we can really start to accomplish great things for him. Now, I haven't been able to go through all the bits that I wanted to uh, necessarily. Let me just read these. Yeah, okay. We know that we have storms that come against us, that seek to swirl around us and to keep blowing our eyes, as it were, if we can use that phrase, to blow our attention away from Jesus. Those storms are around each one of us, and they're going to come again to you during this next week. And they're also going to come through people who are close to you. Because don't forget, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and principalities. But when those storms come, remember this, Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you want to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, don't, don't allow yourself to get far from the word of God. Maybe you have, for all sorts of good reasons. Maybe you've allowed yourself to get away from this. Getting away from this doesn't help you keep your eyes on Jesus. Coming near to this helps you to be established. Okay? It just helps you to be established. There's no shortcuts in it. So if we're believing what the Bible says, the man does not live on bread alone. It says that all Scripture in Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But also it says this, you know what? He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, builds himself up. See, there's certain things that we need to keep close to ourselves to enable us to keep our eyes on Jesus. You speak in tongues? Are you doing that at home so that you might edify yourself? Or have you just forgotten about it? Listen, you can't forget about these things if you want to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because these are the things that help you gain strength. These are the things that help you build trust. These are the things that help you build faith so that you can stand secure on the rock and walk uprightly, doing his purpose and allowing his will to walk through you.